Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, here with my co-host Carrie Plitt. Hi Carrie, how are you doing? Hi Octavia Bright, I'm doing well. <laughs> Can you always refer to me by my full name please? Yes, I usually do. Really? No. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I think if you're going to do it, you should address me by my full title. What's your full title? Dr. Octavia Bright. Oh, Dr. Octavia. I'm sorry, I forgot that. That's very embarrassing. <laughs> I was like, are you like a Viscount or something? Yeah, I'm also nobility. <laughs> FYI. Anyway, uh, welcome to Minnesota 6. Yes, and <laughs> that's my cue for doing the welcome bit. Welcome to Minnesota 6. <laughs> you do it so much better than me. Go on. I really don't. So, as a reminder, the format for these minisodes between full shows is, for the next half hour or so, we're going to have an informal conversation about something book-related. And today, our theme is rereading books, which I think will be fruitful and interesting. And then we're going to recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately with the usual musical interludes chosen by Eddie. That's right. But before we get started, we've got a couple of exciting announcements. Firstly, we're going to take a summer break this year. Um, we need a little bit of a peace out. So after this one minisode, we have one more exciting author special, which we'll be bringing you in a couple of weeks with the wonderful poet and author Ocean Vuong. And then we will be resting our voices till September and working on building our website, putting together a great autumn program for you. Um, but don't worry, we will be rerunning some old shows from our archives so you can enjoy hearing our younger selves fumbling with our old Sputnik mic and saying um and ah a lot more than we do now, probably. We still say um and ah a lot as the person who edits that show. Fair point. <laughs> but yeah, the sound will hopefully be better now. I think so. Yeah, that mic was pretty trashy. It was so trashy. Yeah, but we loved it. Very, very. It fun had a lot of it. personality. It did, and it you know it had the ability to move around, yeah. which is kind of which was, was kind of cool. fun. Well, anyway, uh, we have another announcement, which is that we are now open to working with a sponsor. So we've been approached by some companies over the years, and it's never felt like quite the right fit. But as we are growing, we want to be able to bring you more exciting content, more live events, just more literary friction that's right yeah so um if you work for a company that's looking to invest in the arts then we would love to hear from you our email is litfriction at gmail.com and we're also on twitter and on instagram at litfriction yeah please do hit us up um we're also working on getting some very stylish and very practical merch together for our autumn return and so more details will appear on our social media keep your eyes peeled Keep your wallets open. <laughs> yeah, give us money. And give it's, us it's, money. It's the general message of this mini. So we don't actually have any content. We're trying to play it really cool, but it's not really working. Yeah. So. It feels bad. It does feel bad. It feels really gross. But if you would like to help us out. Yeah. We need your help. <laughs> Carrie, pull it together. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Carrie Plitt, let's talk about rereading books. There is so much to read. Life is not very long. It's very busy. Reading's not always possible. It's not always desirable even. And exciting new stuff is always being published. So where does this leave the choice to reread something? What can rereading a book do? Do you keep books after you read them with the intention of going back? Do you chuck them as soon as you're done? What are the emotional effects of rereading? Do you face your past self? Does it offer some kind of emotional anchor? I mean, I have a lot of questions. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to break it down. Okay. So let's start with... Just a very basic question. Are you a rereader? And if so, which books have you reread? Great question, Octavia. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help flirting with you. It's just your face. I, I love know. it. I'm also wearing my very magical yeah, spectacles it's, today. It's, I'm into them. <laughs> <laughs> I wish our listeners could see them. Anyway, um, no, I'm not a rereader. I'm really not a rereader. And uh, it was interesting when I was thinking about this topic um, 
to investigate why that might be the case. I really can count on my fingers the number of books I've reread. Two of them I reread because I had to for various reasons. One is uh, Ulysses by James Joyce. <laughs> Great, shout but out. only But only because I took two classes in college that required reading Ulysses. And I felt it was important to engage both times. Um, another is Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf, which I reread because... Um, we had a very short-lived feminist book group. Yeah. Um, and Mrs. Dalloway was the first and only book we read for that. Well, no, and then we tried to read, uh, I brought out the Judith Butler and no one wanted to oh, do yeah. it anymore. I, I really tried with the <laughs> Judith Butler. But, but everyone loved Mrs. Dalloway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really loved the experience of rereading that. Felt that in the 10 years that had passed since I first read it, maybe because I was a bit older, I, I understood it even more and loved it even more. And then, um, as listeners to the show will know, I have read the Harry Potter series of books a number of times and plan to do so again in my life. Um, so the question is, why am I not a rereader? I think there are several reasons for this. One is that uh, I'm just stressed out about all of the books that exist in the world that I haven't read yet. And the idea of rereading something that might re replace something new um, stresses me out. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I don't choose to reread things. Second of all, I, I think I'm someone who's always searching for new ideas and experiences. I'm not very obsessive. I get bored quite easily. And just the idea of something new versus something that I know and feel comfortable with um, is, is more exciting to me. But finally, and I think this is the real reason why I'm not a rereader, is that I think I'm terrified that the books that I really love won't have the same effect on me when I return to them. And I sort of want to hold the feeling that I felt when I first read them inside me, and I don't want that to be spoiled. Which is kind of ironic because I just said that I loved rereading Mrs. Dalloway, so maybe I should learn from my experience. But but it's it's a fear, really. That's interesting. I mean, that's definitely happened to me when I've gone back to books that I've loved. Obviously, I can't find any of the examples. And this is the theme in my thoughts around this question is my memory is pretty bad. So I can reread a book. <laughs> it's like it's new. <laughs> what a wonderful thing to have. It is. Yeah, it's a gift and a curse. <laughs> but um, that's I'm just I'm stuck on this idea of the, that it's fear that you would have a different experience that holds you back. That's that's really, really interesting to me because. Of course, you'll have a different experience, right? Like the, the, the human spirit is in total flux. And also certain experiences that are written about in literature that are more age specific. Um, when you're younger, you're reading them about them with the curiosity of someone who's not had those experiences yet. And then to read those same things again, having had them, everything changes. You know, I think like friends of mine who've got married, for example, found that once they'd made that big life choice their relationship to romantic narratives changed mm. you know stuff like that I, I, I do I think it is really interesting um and also you know it makes sense with the job that you do because you're in the publishing you're you're totally anchored to the you know the drive for new writing all the time and you're having to read new writing all the time I mean my relationship to rereading is different because of my profession and as an academic in when you're researching you're doing so much rereading and constantly mm. going back to reference texts and reading incredibly analytically again and again and then you read different theory and then you go back to the same text with a completely different lens on and see it differently again and also as a writer you know I, I go back to the same text for inspiration again and again and again so what books do you love to reread well 
the books I go back to now, I go back to John Berger a lot when mm. I'm writing nonfiction. Um, and Maggie Nelson, um, the Argonauts, I find her voice is just, it has such clarity. I find it really helpful, like a palate cleanser. Um, but when it comes to reading for pleasure, I mean, this is going to make me sound like a complete wanker, but I, I reread War and Peace a few times. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but, but hear me out. So the first two times I read it, were in it was in very quick succession um because I took it I was traveling for four months I was really young I think I was 18 and um I could only fit three books in my backpack so I took War and Peace I think I've talked about this on the show before but probably a long time ago War and Peace The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins and The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky um oh, if I could have known 18 year old Octavia <laughs> <laughs> I think we would have been friends even I think then. we would have been friends yeah, yeah. I'm so impressed by your teenage self. Oh, my God. I mean, my teenage self was desperately searching for something. <laughs> desperately. Weren't we all? Right, exactly. Weren't we all? Um, but yeah, I was away for a long time. And I had a lot of time by myself in this kind of bizarre, extraordinary landscape. I was living at the bottom of a volcano teaching English. And in the evenings, and it's equatorial, so it would get dark at six. And I would sit there on the veranda of this house with this family I was staying with, with candles and read fucking War and Peace quite quite extreme get bitten by mosquitoes but I finished all three books really fast and so I read them I didn't read the moonstone twice because I didn't love it as much but the other two I read twice but war and peace was the one that really stuck with me and then I years later went back to it and actually it's a book I didn't I haven't had a different experience of it's just been a deepening relationship Mm. with the characters um and still, I couldn't tell you all of their names because my memory fails me. Um, so that's, you know, that's like my big one, I guess. Um, but also, yeah, I think my relationship to rereading for pleasure has changed as my relationship to literature in general has changed. So when I was 18, you know, I was still kind of not that far from the, well, not that disentangled from the system that I'd been educated in, which was pretty traditional and I was still like invested in reading the literary grades. I was quite anti reading the English language grades because I, I, I was that far on in myself that I knew I didn't want to kind of participate in that canon. But I was still very bound by the idea of canon and was like chasing the Russian writers, French, Spanish, Latin American writers, which meant that they were, you know, big novels by men, basically. Not always realist at all, but like that kind of writing. And then as my horizons opened out and I started getting into reading contemporary literature, you know, things totally shifted. Of course, you suddenly are reading the voices of very, very different writers and also very different kinds of writing, novellas and pamphlets and poetry and God knows what else. Um, Not the novel changed shape a lot and, and has become something that's much more fluid now. And I think that, you know, there's an idea of rereading like a massive hefty tome makes a lot of sense because there are things you will have missed and you can't take everything in and all of that but rereading like a lighter smaller book again it's a kind of different relationship to that so um you know rereading Mrs Dalloway for example it's not a long book is it and so you know that like that's not such a big commitment necessarily depending on how you relate to reading time um so yeah I don't know I, I I mean these days these days I reread less than I would like to actually for pleasure like I said for work a lot but for pleasure actually but I do find myself reading new books and thinking I can't wait to reread this in like five years that's so interesting I do I never think that really yeah but okay so I have a question for you what about so I have a friend who insists that you should keep every book you've ever read and he does and um he has many many books and 
I mean, for me, that's not been possible because of moving around. And I think the same for you, right? Yeah, we've moved around a lot in the last few years. And so I've had to be really ruthless with my book collection. Um, I, I think if you asked my husband if I've been ruthless, he might say something different because I feel like about half the boxes we move every time are all of my books. Um, but no, I don't, I don't particularly feel that I need to keep all of the books I've read, especially the ones I don't really care about. Um, I do like to keep copies of books that I love. And even if I'm never going to reread them, I love the idea of having a physical book in in my home. It means a lot to me, even if I'm literally never going to touch it ever again. But mm. I like seeing it on the shelves. I do always have this idea that I'm going to write down every single book that I've read and have a, a list that I'll be able to consult. Um, and I do it for about two months and then I just completely forget so yeah. I wish I was more disciplined, but I'm not. No, I've started that like three times and every time I lose the notebook. I mean, it's completely yeah, me pointless. <laughs> it's so <laughs> ridiculous. And then I know some people have Word docs on their computers, but that I just, I feel like I should be physically writing it down. Mm, I know what you mean. But also that makes it feel more like work. Mm. And it, it's hard for it to not feel like it's connected to status. Like, here's my big dick. Look how many books I've read rather than the personal thing. I don't know. I mean... Listen, I would like to keep all the books because my memory is bad. And when I look at my bookshelves, it reminds me that I've read them. But also, I mean, I never, I'm never not underlining or writing in books. So, yeah, I like I do like to hold on to them because they have bits of my thinking in them as well. Octavia's Marginalia. Oh, I hate I that. I know, word. I know. Oh, That's why I, I said it. that. Oh, it makes me want to rip my skin <laughs> That's why off. I said it. Also it I'm just teasing no, you. No, no, you can tease. But like, I, I hate the thought that that anyone might think I do it because I think that's one day it's going to be important to somebody. Do you know what I mean? It's more for me. But don't you think everything we do, even for ourselves, is we sort of think that maybe somebody might read it one day? Maybe that's my ego mania. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. Not that I think I'm going to be important enough, but I feel like I can never divorce things that I do for myself from this idea of somebody somehow looking over my shoulder right like it being being meaningful to somebody at some point yeah listen I mean we are like hardwired to believe in legacy of all kinds genetic marginalic yeah (laughs) we're going really off piece here should we (laughs) should we come back to rereading yeah Yeah. we can come back to rereading um so how about how do you how you remember books like I've been banging on about how bad my memory is for books but I want to know about yours Do you remember plot or emotionally or structurally? Mainly emotionally, I think. I like to remember books in terms of how they made me feel. Also in terms of how they made me see the world and and think about ideas, which is slightly different, I think, from remembering them emotionally. But in terms of plot, um, no, I, I don't have a great memory for plot. I seem to always forget how novels end, which I think is very interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah, um, like consistently. But I do remember certain scenes very well. But I'm very happy with that being what I remember about the novel. I, I don't feel fussed about remembering a whole narrative. And I'm glad that the narrative was a means for the delivery for the ideas and feelings that I got out of the book. But I'm happy to leave it aside. Mm. How about you? Yeah, I mean, totally, totally agree for a particular kind of book. But then I also do read quite a lot. Well, I say do. I haven't for a while, but I used to especially read a lot of very plot driven books like crime fiction. And I still can't fucking remember what happens or who killed who or what, you know. Um, It's yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Like the details of books that I know I loved slip from my mind so incredibly fast. Character names, plot details, the whole deal. But the emotional connection I have to the book stays very strong. So 
I can, you know, someone mentions the name of a book and I'll be like, I love that book. I love that book. And then I'll ask a question about it and I'll be like, I literally have no idea. <laughs> but I can tell you I loved it. And and then that's weird because then if I do go back and reread it and discover that actually I don't love it any longer, it's kind of a strange, like I feel like the rug gets pulled out from underneath me a little bit. It's quite a vertiginous oh feeling. Has that, has that happened to you? Yeah, that's definitely happened to me. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was... It was maybe like a Graham Greene novel. It, no, not Graham Greene. It was it was like a classic British you, uh, writer. Evelyn Saying War. bad words. Evelyn about... War. It was an Evelyn War. Okay. Because I just, I love Evelyn War's writing, but but holy fuck, you know, he's Evelyn War. <laughs> he is a, a mean person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it was, it's just the way that you identify with a, with a particular yeah. story or set of characters changes as you evolve. And, you know, but that's that complicated thing about very emphatically emoting about something when actually the back end of your memories dropped off yeah and I consistently worry about that on this show because I keep talking about novels that I love that I read in high school and it's like oh my god like I don't even I if I recommended that to somebody and they read it I yeah I actually don't know if it's I feel good the same sometimes it makes me feel very anxious yeah <laughs> except I don't want to reread it so whatever no, so there you go <laughs> <laughs> so whatever Carrie doesn't give a fuck um no I know it's it's true I mean it, but it's different I find very different for me with nonfiction, um, and I think it's that's part of my training. But um, my brain is much better at remembering concepts and ideas than particulars and specifics. So, you know, with nonfiction, I can give you a, like a pressy of the ideology behind a particular text very, very easily, whether or not I liked it. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, but I think. Whenever it comes to fiction, I'm reading in such a different mode if it's for pleasure that I I think I'm experiencing it in a much more immediate way and I'm not kicking into that bit of my mind that needs to retain it, so yeah. I don't. Well, and also uh, that that's part of the project of fiction. Yeah. yeah. I think that makes sense in terms of what the two different um, genres are doing. Yeah, good, thanks. Because sometimes it worries me. It's I all mean, fine. Sometimes it feels like Swiss cheese in my head. Um I mean, and this, having said that, this other question I have for you is, have you ever reread a book by accident? Um, like, picked something up and got halfway through before realising you've read it before? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually, I've done that. I've done that multiple times. But also once I just realised it was actually just a different Philip Roth book. I loved that. And the plot was so similar that <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. I've definitely read this. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's not the human stain, but it, it is the human stain. Anyway. Sorry, Philip, but I'm not sorry at all. I haven't read any of your novels, Philip, so I'm also sorry. I mean, they're good, they're similar. <laughs> I have. I think I started reading American Pastoral and I couldn't get through it. But anyway. Yeah, uh, The Human Stain is the one that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and I guess my, my, my last question is, do you like anxiety in your reading experience? Like, are you driven by newness? Yes. Except for Harry Potter. Harry Potter is this weird exception to all of my reading because I seek it out for utter comfort. I just find it so comforting to read those books and to re-experience them, to delve back into a world, to discover things that I didn't discover when I read them the first or the second time. Um, and, and that is really, it's almost like a different level of reading for me. I don't... I, I would almost put that in the category of watching a sitcom on TV or something like that. You know, it's it's something that I do not to switch off my brain, but to just feel like I'm in a warm bath of magic. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I hear you. But actually, I was going to say, it doesn't sound much like reading. And I find that with those books as well. But mm. also, I tend to listen to them on audiobooks. So it isn't reading, you know, really. It's just world. It's just immersing myself in a world. Yeah, yeah, totally. But otherwise, definitely driven by newness. Want to experience new things, want to feel new things, want to be surprised. I mean, I don't, on the level of plot, I don't care about that that much. Like, I, I don't think I'd be really upset if somebody spoiled the end of a literary novel for me because that's not really the point of of literary fiction. But um, but yeah, I want to be in something new. Um, and I'm always looking for new voices, new ideas. I mean, I'm really, I, I think I've talked about this on the show before. I'm, I'm not a very loyal reader either. I don't, there are very few authors where I read one of their books and I want to read everything that they've written. I'd much rather find something new and totally different. Yeah, you're not very obsessive. No. I can be quite obsessive and I've definitely, I did the whole, I mean, I haven't done it for a while, but when I was younger, I did that, I did that, like, read every book by the same writer thing with quite a few of the big American writers because they were so, when I came to them, they felt like a group and they, so I read a lot of um, John Steinbeck, can't remember any of it, but read them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I often, I, I envy that about you though. I wish I was more obsessive. I remember Richard Serra gave the graduation speech at my college and he said something about obsession being the driving force for creativity. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I do think there's something in that, that obsession is this amazing sort of powerful way to be in the world. And I'm sometimes upset by the fact that I get bored about things or I get briefly obsessed with something and then quickly move on. Yeah, it's interesting. I I mean, definitely they're connected because in order to make something, you have to be able to shut out the rest of the world. That's my experience anyway. But obsession, I don't know, babe. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard being an obsessive person too. It's it's a difficult it, it's difficult to find a balance. I think if you have that in you, yeah, I find it. Well, I shouldn't speak in generalizations. I find it difficult to find the balance. Um, it's a great gift sometimes, and I couldn't do the kind of work I have done and continue to do without it. But um, it's it's definitely something that needs I find needs managing. Um, yeah. yeah, this has just turned into a therapy session, <laughs> and I love it. You love it. <laughs> I love it too. I'll charge you later. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for me, my most reliably good rereading experience, I guess, similar to your Harry Potter relationship, is The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov, which I bang on about all the time. Um, and I go back to every few years and always find it both comforting and new and inspiring because it's one of those books that's doing so many things. It's speaking in many different registers and there are like four different worlds within it so there's always something else to find um, but I think actually on the theme of obsession it's basically become a bit of a spiritual ritual for me and I think it's probably something I'll do until the day I die um, I don't know there's something about that book it, it kind of connects the two sides of my brain in this really alchemical way and it gives me uh, yeah I know it gives me a real kick every time I do it probably it's like once every three or four years and I feel like, you know, maybe maybe the next time I try it, it won't actually be that fulfilling anymore. But the ritual will be so fulfilling in itself that that won't matter. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that's the word ritual has a lot to do with why people reread things. I yeah. Think. For, for absolute certain. Yeah. I think, I mean, there we go. Good. <laughs> Solved. <laughs> nice doing business Another with you. issue done. <laughs> Carrie and Octavia. Detective agency. Sorry, please. <laughs> no, no. I am here for that. <laughs> like, I'm so, so down for that. Although we'd probably be bright and plit, not carrying Octavia. Bright we? and plit. Blit. 
split. No. <laughs> My name doesn't work in combination with any other names. <laughs> Bright and plit. I can see the slatted blind now. Let's do it. Plight. <laughs> Plight. <laughs> Does anyone want to commission this show? Come on. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Literary Friction, Minnesota 6. Carrie and I are back to give you some more recommendations of things that are not reading that we've been into lately. So, Carrie Plitt, what have you been up to? Well, Octavia Bright, um, I've been up to something reading adjacent. OMG. Which is a movie called Booksmart. I've heard a lot about this. I want to see it. Well, okay. I really want to recommend it. I went to see it over the weekend and I just really, really enjoyed it in this like sort of sweet, innocent way, you know, I, yeah. I, I, it was like eating a really delicious ice cream sundae. And it was exactly what I needed on that weekend. Um, just to cap it off. It felt so great. So it's very knowingly placed itself in the lineage of high school comedies. So I think if you are a fan of high school comedies, this is a movie for you. If you're not, Possibly not. But the plot of this one is that two best friends who have spent all of their time studying and never partying in high school realize that all of the other kids in their school that have spent their time partying have also got into all of the elite colleges. Um, and so bummer. I know, real bummer. <laughs> so they decide on their last night before graduation, they're going to make up for all the partying they haven't done. Just a great premise. Sounds like a madcap scheme. Oh, yeah. Well, it gets a little crazy. Um, <laughs> Carrie, I love it when you're all wholesome like this. It makes me so happy. <laughs> um, so let me tell you what I liked about it. One, it's genuinely funny. And the two female leads are just fantastic in it. They're both really funny. They're different kinds of actresses. And they they work really well together. Two, I do think it updates some of the outdated ideas that you see in these kinds of movies without seeming too worthy. I should also say that it's very much within the tradition of this kind of movie. So if you're looking for something really new and different, you won't find it in Booksmart. Three has an excellent soundtrack and lots of songs that I was reminded that I loved or was introduced to for the first time. And four, and I would have liked it for this alone, it has an Alanis Morissette karaoke scene. The song (laughs) You Ought to Know, which I've done with a group of women in karaoke and it's like the most like powerful forceful song to do in karaoke and I'm so glad that whoever wrote this movie or put that scene in or whatever recognized that and illustrated it on film I love how sincere you are about this (laughs) I just loved it it's great I should also say you should take this with a grain of salt because female-led comedies set in high school are like catnip to me um like I can't, I can't sort of have critical appreciation of them. I'm just like all in. It so, is totally into it. Yeah, yeah. But I, but other people have also said that this is a good movie. I want to see it, and I'm not that into those kind of movies. Yeah, I feel like you might hate it. Oh, but really? That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. I, I would, I would be really happy if you didn't. But I'm prepared okay. for your dislike. Fair enough. And then the only other thing I want to recommend is the musician Bill Callahan. Oh, this is a name I've heard. Yeah, Yeah. so he's been around for a while. He used to um, record as Smog, but now he's just Bill Callahan. His latest album, Shepherd in a Sheepskin Vest, has just come out, and I've been listening to it a lot. 
I realized when I was thinking about this recommendation that it's really hard for me to talk about why I like music. It feels so personal and visceral. And I think that's one of the reasons I've avoided doing it on the show so far. Um, But I think what I like about Bill Callahan is, first of all, his voice, which is so tender and searching and warm. It's sort of Van Morrison-y in some ways. He's just a total individual. And you hear his voice and you know it's him right away. And it, it gives me a lot of comfort, um, even when it's being sarcastic or sardonic. Um, But it's also this record is really beautiful. It's about being married and having a family and that contentment, but in a sincere way and not a pat way and one that really examines happiness um, in a way that I think a lot of songs don't. So I'd really recommend it. Mm, It sounds brilliant. I'd like to listen. Yeah, it's it's a nice thing for like if you're going on a walk on a Sunday, just like putting it in your ears and letting it take you away. She actually closed her eyes when she said that. Everyone. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of feelings I today. Know you are. It's great. I love it. It's, it's role reversal. How about you, Octavia? Well, I went to a Lindy Hop class. Ooh. And yeah, it was wild. It was really fun. But it was also actually just fascinating. Um, like first up, just an absolutely brilliant reminder of the joy of learning with the body instead of the mind. Um, you know, physical repetition to music is just like, it's a holistic thing. And to do it like I love dancing of all kinds and you know freestyling when you're out whatever but actually learning a set of dance steps is is a great thing to do and something I used to do a lot when I was younger as a kid and then also as a kind of young adult and I haven't done it for ages Um, but also holy shit the humanity in those spaces is just so intense it's like this amazing practice of vulnerability and humility when you're learning to partner dance with complete strangers. Mm. And um, I'd forgotten what that was like. And in this class you rotate, so everybody dances with everybody. And honestly, like I was more emotionally than physically exhausted by the end of it, just because this this really amazing, intense, not always easy, not always pleasant contact with each person and like what do you need from them what do they need from you I mean I went with my boyfriend who didn't experience it like this at all so <laughs> I think it's something to do with me and my skinlessness because but, this, this <clears throat> like doesn't necessarily sound like a recommendation oh no <laughs> <laughs> no it is it was very enjoyable but it was just this like I don't know it left me really thoughtful about how easy it is to become alienated from your body and also from communicating physically rather mm. than verbally and how that so rarely gets to happen in a context that's not like hypersexual as well. Um, and it was just this like joyful, silly, goofy experience where like everyone's making mistakes and stepping on each other's feet and it doesn't matter. And it was it was really like, yeah, like reconnecting with play and childlike excitement. I mean, you know, I want to go back. Also, that feeling of like, I want to get good at this and I, and I don't have the skill. It's, it's a new skill that I want to learn was, was a really nice feeling to be kind of more actively in relation to something. My other recommendation, just Keanu Reeves. Just straight up Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, Go Keanu on. for your soul, Keanu for your work day. He just, he's back on the scene and I'm so happy about it. He's just, uh, yeah, he's just around. But it meant that I watched a terrible terrible movie and I know this is meant to be recommendations but honestly it's called Always Be My Maybe and listen I don't watch a whole lot of rom-coms so I'm not the target audience um I watched it because of Keanu and also because I think Ali Wong is is really cool and she um she's one of the lead stars in it 
Holy hell, it was such a shit show of reactionary messages oh, no. and disappointing stereotypes. Yeah, and it like it seems like it's going to be okay for the first half, and then wowie, like the ro- the rom com's relationship with capitalism and capitalist modes of production and like gender binary shit is so entrenched and intense, um, and and very very disappointing. So I do not recommend the film. But <laughs> Keanu has a cameo where he plays himself. He's so bad. <laughs> His cameo is is like exquisite, but so bad. Um, but he's just this glorious presence. And it's kind of reconnected me with the idea of Keanu Reeves. And also, did you know how many amazing gifts there are of Keanu Reeves on your phone? <laughs> no. They're great. Just take I a ha- deep dive. I have so many reactions to the recommendations you've just given. <laughs> okay, so first of all... Um, I feel the same way about dan- about doing Kaylee's. Oh, yeah. Kaylee's. I love Kaylee's. Totally. And I feel like that's such a good space to, as you say, engage with different kinds of dancers and all be learning something together. Yeah, and, and play. You can, you can mess up and you can change. And yeah, um, I have been talking to some friends about doing a Kaylee in London, which I feel a little bad about not being a Scottish person, but whatever. Two, I feel like from hearing you say that you didn't like that, romantic comedy that I'm really going to like that romantic comedy <laughs> because I because all of the things you're complaining about are all like tropes of romantic comedies which you know that I love yeah you might enjoy it I yeah. mean there are things about it that are not terrible <laughs> <laughs> and then three I can't say I share your love of Keanu Reeves uh, that's insane but I, I'm sorry but I will say that I had a very similar reaction I went to go see this pretty I mean, fine, entertaining movie called Late Night um, with Mindy. I kind of want to see that. Yeah. Mindy Kaling. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's fine. It's very predictable and funny at points. But it's it stars. But. <laughs> it was written by Mindy Kaling. And I came out of it being like, Emma Thompson is a god. I love her. She was amazing. She was just like wearing these like sharp suits the whole time and like being really funny, but not too like sweet, but also like I, she's just amazing. She really got and, you. And, and I really feel that if I could be like Emma Thompson in my 50s, I would die happy. I mean, she she was playing a role, Carrie. I know, but the, <laughs> her personality shone through. She I'm actually plays quite a bad person in that movie. Really? Yeah. Who learns to love, of course. Of but, course. But um, no, I just I just emerged in awe of her. She's such a wonderful actress and she's so smart and she seems to have principles. She's very compelling. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, I'd still take Keanu over Emma, I'm sorry, but you know. To each his own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So Carrie recommends Emma Thompson. I recommend Keanu Reeves. End of story. Could we orchestrate a movie where they are together acting? It would be bad, Carrie. <laughs> it would be a bad movie. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe they could play us in the detective Our detectives. <laughs> this this has to stop, Octavia. Okay, it's, it's we're excited because we're about to have a break. It's, yeah, this is the I'm feeling really giddy. Minnesota before <laughs> summer break. It's really sweaty and hot in the studio. Yeah, I'm literally there's yeah. sweat dripping Carrie down is my sweating. face. <laughs> We've got the giggles. This is our gift to you. Um, anyway, thank you for listening outro coming
That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for bearing with our giddy giggles. Um, thank you to Paula at NTS and to Eddie Knight for editing and music. Literary Friction is available as a podcast and to stream on nts.live. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You can also get in touch with us on email, litfriction at gmail.com. And like we said at the top of the show, if you'd like to sponsor us, please get in touch. Yes, please do. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with an author special with Ocean Vuong, but Carrie and I will be back together in September. Until then, have a wonderful summer. I'm Octavia Bright with Carrie Plitt, and this is Literary Friction. <laughs> <laughs>